0: Good morning. This morning's scripture readings are from the Gospel according to Mark, chapters 1, verses 40 to 45, and also chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. We will begin with Mark, chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now Mark chapter 3, verse 7 to 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This is God's word.
1: Before our uh, community group started up this past Wednesday, Georgetown community group, holla! Okay. All right. Before it started up on Wednesday, Katie and I went out for a bite to eat, a little, little date time, and while waiting on our food. I read to her uh, an email from someone not in this room, and I told her, you know, here's how I'm planning to respond to this person. To get your thoughts. What do you think? And I'm very grateful because my wife loves me enough to tell me the truth. Um, she loves me a lot in this way. <laughs> very grateful for that. She says, you know, Ryan, sometimes you miss what they are really trying to say. What they're really trying to communicate. They're... Saying this, but they are really asking this. Show enough, got my email back out, reread it, and whoop, there it is. She was right. <laughs> and, and as some of you may have also experienced in your relationship with me, um, I can be dense, I can miss the point the first time. And I need to see, I need to hear it again to really get it, really understand for the light bulb to go off. Now, thankfully, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit knows this and through Mark helps out people like myself. Mark often presents in his gospel a lived out truth or proclamation of truth and then reinforces it with a picture of that same truth. Often in the form of a miracle. And that's the case here this morning. Last week we saw Jesus live out the truth of needing vine time. Life-giving time with His Heavenly Father. And it helped Him precisely know, know precisely how to next obey His Father which was kingdom expansion through gospel proclamation. That's what you're supposed to do next. Here, in our story this morning, Jesus Christ gives life to a man considered as good as dead. And he lets him know precisely how to obey him. How to respond to that life with obedience. But the man does not. He fails. He does not obey. And I believe, friends, God has something to say to us this morning to help us avoid a similar fate. If Jesus has touched your life in some way, like he touched this leprous man, if he has met a need, if he has given you a blessing, or he is your trusted Savior, with great urgency this morning, he asks you to also step out in obedience. The next question would be for us, okay, to do what exactly? What is Jesus asking me to do? I see what he's asked this man to do in this story. What is he asking me to do exactly? And we have, thankfully, the written word of God to tell us what we are called to do. And in here, there seems to be three types, categories of ex- obedience to which Jesus calls us. And I thought it would be helpful just to review those briefly this morning. Three types Categories of obedience. We have daily bread obedience and prompt obedience and prioritized obedience. So I'm going to go through each. There's a daily bread kind of obedience. This is a conviction that when you spend time every day, whether it's in the morning, in the evening, conviction, the Holy Spirit gives you something profitable each day to chew on, to eat, to digest, and to apply. It is like bread. It is like a meal. And He has prepared this for you. So for instance, if you read that morning, Matthew 5, 44-47, which talks about praying for your enemies, then obey and pray for your enemies. For people who don't like you or treat you poorly. If you read the first ten verses of James 2 about not showing partiality and how you relate to people in the body of Christ... Obey. Go out of your way to befriend an unlikely person. Memorize your first Bible verse after reading that morning parts of Psalm 119 or John 8, 31-32. through 32. That's what He gives you. Respond with obedience. It's their daily bread. Invite a, a, a new person, a new be- to Sunrise Community Church over for dinner after you read the command in Romans 12, seek to show hospitality. That's your daily bread. Take it, digest it, apply it to your life. That's one kind of obedience. Another kind of obedience is impromptu obedience. This would be in God's providence, he either nudges you by the Holy Spirit to obey, or some things, or someone happens in your life and you're called to respond obediently. Some examples of this would be when you see somebody in need, someone who needs help, who needs to be served materially or otherwise, stop what you're doing, what you think is more important, because it's more important to serve them in that moment. When you read things like Matthew 25 and James chapter 2. Go out of your way to outdo one another in showing honor, like Romans 12 talks about. When God puts someone on your heart to encourage, it's that impromptu obedience. Drop them a note. Send them a verse. Encourage them. Be ready to give reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. When someone asks you, why do you believe in this stuff? 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, excuse me, 15 and 16 says, be ready to give an answer to someone who asks you that question. So give an answer. Impromptu obedience. There's a third kind of obedience that is, prioritized obedience. This is sort of lifelong or at least long-term roles of obedience. Right? So, if, for example, all of us, if you know Jesus, all of us are called to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. Mark 12 tells us that. All of us are called to seek first the kingdom of God. All of us who have trusted Jesus are called to participate in a local church, community, meeting together regularly. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Using our gifts to serve one another, 1 Corinthians 12. If you're a husband, you have a lifelong calling to lead and love sacrificially like Jesus. If you're a wife, to submit and respect lovingly, Ephesians 5. Children, you're called to honor and obey your parents, Ephesians 6. If you work, if you're a worker, do all your work as unto the Lord to glorify Him Colossians 3, 23, and 24. If you're unmarried, to redeem this undivided time to seek hard the things of God. 1 Corinthians 7. These are types of obedience. I want you to we'll sort of stick these types and examples of obedience in your hip pocket. We'll bring them out for later and apply them to life. We're going to move on. There's another Mark theme we see here in this gospel is that those who listen, understand, respond to, and obey Jesus are frequently not those we'd expect. We'll see this again in Mark chapter 7 and Mark chapter 8, where people you wouldn't even think of, the least likely people respond to Jesus and begin to obey him and follow him and love him, cherish him with their lives. We saw this this morning. Mark, purposefully juxtapose stories, and echo previous moments in Jesus' ministry to make a point. One such echo is Mark 3, verses 7-12, through as Janine read earlier. You may have wondered, why are we reading this? Because, as Jesus withdraws, again, more people come to him seeking healing, like we see in Mark 1 this morning. Again, Jesus sternly orders, charges someone not to say anything about the miracle. Don't say anything. And in this case, that someone or those someones fall down and seemingly obey. They obey Jesus. They don't say anything. Not even a word. They listen to Jesus. They obey him. The irony in Mark's point is that someone are... Unclean spirits or demons. In other words, Mark is putting this here, drawing these parallels because they're meant to humble us. At least early on in Jesus' ministry, demons obey better than humans. Let that sink in. You're, if you were at you know, a trivia, if you're on Jeopardy, you think, which obeys better, human beings or demons A Beelzebub? i hope you would say, probably human beings. And it would be incorrect. In this case, and that's pretty humbling. Hence the title of the sermon this morning, the Obedience, the Greater Miracle. For Jesus, the Son of God, to extend his authority over a lifelong leper and cleanse him is nothing compared to a human being actually obeying with his life. And God doing that work in them. meant to humble us. Why is it that we find obedience so difficult, almost impossible at times? Like we can't resist. We, we have to give in. That's what we'll spend the rest of our time on this morning. The obstacles to obedience and how we can begin overcoming them in our lives. First obstacle we can see here in the story of this leprous man is weakness of will. These words are so gracious from Jesus, aren't they? I am willing. A Man, he's never met before. Doesn't just met him, just getting to know his heart. I am willing. Takes pity on him, has compassion on him. Jesus is willing in his very nature. But we, like this former leper, are unwilling in our very nature. Either we know the good we ought to do, But something in us fails or gives in at the last minute and often repeatedly and at the same things. This is called the sinful nature. It's a spiritual disease with which we are born. You can read Romans 7 to learn more. Or we know what's lawful and obedient, but we arrange our lives such that we stubbornly choose our own ways, our own paths. Our own preferences. This is also called the sinful nature, a spiritual disease with which we are born. Read Romans 3 for more on that. Either way, read Romans. <laughs> it's my encouragement. The first act of obedience that Jesus ever asked of this man in his entire life, he does so with all gravity. He sternly charges him, he says here. That's literally, it's a kind of snorting or flaring of the nostrils. You can see Jesus' face, right? Flaring of the nostrils. The word ekbalo, which is translated, he sent this man away at once, was usually used of Jesus expelling demons. In other words, there was an urgency and seriousness and gravity to him saying, do this and do it now obey what i'm telling you and still this man does not obey is he weird is he abnormal should we just kind of like cast him off as one of those bible characters he just wouldn't do it is he somewhere between you know a shyster and sociopath he just it's all about him i don't think so like us he had a weak will a weak will This is a concept called, theologians call total depravity, which means just this, left to themselves, left to ourselves, the whole of a person, mind, emotions, body, and will is bent toward rebellion, tends toward rebellion, shaped towards rebellion. We know this having children, right, when you feed them the first time and put that turkey-mashed-up potatoes, whatever that is, in that little bottle, and you give it to them, they throw it back in your face. It's like, wow, (laughs) thanks. Because we're bent towards rebellion. A 20th century apologist for the Christian faith, a man named Malcolm Muggeridge, once said that the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, the most provable reality, But at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. In other words, he's saying, it's true in the way we live our lives. We see it every day. But people, maybe even you, don't wish to believe it. They still say, oh, that's not true. I'm a good person. I mostly do good. If you're getting angry about me without that point, it only proves Muggeridge's point. (laughs) If you're getting angry right now, it's because, again, we're bent towards rebellion. Everyone has that moment in their lives when they are caught or they catch themselves realizing the evil of which they are capable, right? If left to themselves, left to ourselves or our own devices, right? And you have that moment of, whoa, I didn't even know I was capable of that. I didn't know I could think of that way or I could do what I just did. Everyone has that moment, right? In fact, Muggeridge himself had that moment in his life. Just after graduating from Cambridge, Muggeridge moved to India to teach English. In his early 20s, he strolled down to a nearby river. And bathing in the rivers at that time was common in India. It still is. It was early evening, early evening hours, and Muggeridge's eye spotted across the way a silhouette of a woman on the other side of the river his heart began to pound with what he called a wild unreasonableness. He was suddenly seized by his lustful imagination. And so he lunged into the water and he crossed a river. After splashing the other side, he emerged face to face with this mostly naked woman, and he almost fainted. Before him was a wrinkled woman, her feet deformed, toothless, eyes sunken in, she was racked with leprosy. Fingers stumpy. Looking at her now, he threw himself back into the water immediately with, with fright, and he just sort of casually drifted in the stream, shocked over this confrontation. When Muggeridge says, he admitted that the real shock that morning wasn't the leprous woman, mind-bending as that would have been, surprising as that would have been. Rather, it was the condition of his own heart, dark with what he called appetites overpowering his weak will. Shocked by it. Here he is, a graduate of Cambridge, right, groomed to be a noble Professor, just look at him. I have a picture up here of him. This, this picture screams distinguished gentleman, right? All he needs is a smoking jacket, right? And he's just like, wow, that man, right? He's all class, all the time. Yet left to himself without knowing Jesus, he throws himself in an Indian river, swims across, burning with lust. whole no way. What is that moment for you? What is that moment for you? And will you continue to insist that you have enough self-control, enough willpower, enough good to overcome the weakness in your life? For many of you, that weakness of will remains your primary obstacle to obedience. It's the main thing that's keeping you from obeying Jesus. But you can begin to overcome that. How? By looking to Jesus' willingness by continually looking again and again to Jesus' willingness. Look, while leprosy can delicately be handled now so that it won't spread, such understanding was unavailable to those in Jesus' time who regarded the skin disease of leprosy as, one, highly contagious, two, usually a divine punishment, three, only curable by God, typically, 4 it was a condition that required the person to leave the community, leave their family, leave their job, leave their life. 5 to dress, to groom themselves in a way that clearly identified them as a leper, wearing ratty clothes and keeping your hair unkempt intentionally. I know some of you today mess your hair up with hair gel and you know intentionally to look cool like hey man what's up look at my hair it's awesome. You know that's cool. I'm down with that. But back then it was a sign of leprosy, so I'm just saying. (laughs) But for these people, leprosy was more than a disease, it was really a death sentence. You see that? All things that he held dearest to him were now dead to him. To this leper, Jesus withholds his famous declaration your faith has made you well, but he doesn't doesn't withhold his pity, his compassion, his touch. His understanding that this is a desperate man, a dead man walking, looking for life. Jesus repeatedly is willing to make clean rebels who come with even half-hearted faith and icy cold apologies. I'm sorry, Jesus, I know it's wrong. He loves to forgive. He loves to make clean. He is willing. The only way to break free of your weak will is to look to Jesus' willingness. Keep coming back to Him who has open arms for you. Romans 2.4 says it well. Paul says, do you presume on the riches? Listen to this part. The riches of His kindness, His forbearance, His patience, not knowing that it's God's kindness that's meant to lead you to repentance in other words it's the willingness the kindness the riches of his patience of jesus that's meant to change you that's meant to help you obey that's meant to help you turn in life to truly follow him don't presume on those things instead meditate on them look to jesus willingness every day of your life look to the cross where he was most willing And looks at you with open arms says, come back. I can make you clean again. Second obstacle we see here in this story to obedience is the inconvenience of obedience. See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them in accordance with Leviticus, that's right, Leviticus, your favorite book and mine, Jesus is asking this man to, without looking back there, in the whole chapter, he's asking this man to, together with a priest, go outside the city gate, purchase two birds, one for sacrifice, one to be dipped in that sacrifice, wash his clothes, shave all his hair. That, on the eighth day, hanging out with the priest again, taking two lambs, one again for sacrifice, take the blood of that lamb and wipe it first on your right earlobe, then the thumb of your right hand and the big toe of your right foot. Then repeat that same process with oil. All the while, anyone who sees him and says, hey, whoa, man, there's something different about you. You've changed. Yes, I'm not a leper anymore. (laughs) That's true. But he can't say what happened. Jesus said, don't say anything. He says this because he doesn't want people to give people the wrong idea of who he is as a Messiah, as a king. But he can't say what happened. Very inconvenient, to say the least, to obey Jesus. Friends, we are often betrayed by efficiency in our lives. The previous day, we were able to get all ten things done on our to-do list. The time, the time we were able to prepare a portfolio for our boss, to do something nice for our spouse, go grocery shopping, pick up the kids, and get exercise in for ourselves. Ah, what a day that was. This kind of efficiency is often the enemy to obedience. Often the enemy to obedience. Instead of rushing after lunch to get back to work, God may urge you to loiter for five minutes in prayer in praise and confessing sin and lingering at the cross. Instead of beating traffic home, He may be nudging you to walk into an office of someone you notice might be spiritually sensitive who might be asking questions about God or the Bible. He might be asking you to engage them in conversation for 10-15 minutes or who knows how long. Instead of swooping in like Tarzan and picking up your child from school or from a sports activity, get to know his or her friend. Get to know his or her friend. Get down on their level, right? Talk to them a little bit. Throw a ball with them or kick a ball with them. Ask them a couple questions. Maybe they're unfamiliar with kindness in their lives. Maybe they haven't experienced it. Obedience is often more productive than efficiency or convenience. Now let me rephrase that. Obedience is always more productive than efficiency or convenience. Always, it's part of living out the Matthew six thirty three principle: seek first the kingdom of God, seek first what Jesus wants you to do, and all these other things will be provided for you. Trust Him for the all things. Yeah, but my work is going to suffer. Yeah, but so-and-so is going to be upset. Yeah, you know, but if I do this, I'll miss out on... Yeah, but seek first. Those other things will take care of themselves. Back in January on a blog post, which I looked up this week, 131 of them, 131 people read, which I assume is 100 of you, and the rest were my mom's Bible study back in Orlando. She loves me. going to say that. (laughs) I I sort of declared that the, the Holy Spirit seemed to be leading Sunrise in 2013 to be a year for found people to find people. Found people, found by God, to find people. Find others for God. As a church leadership, myself and the elders along with the heads of You know, down the line, the heads of ministry teams and community group leaders are entrusted to equip God's people for works of service, according to Ephesians 4, an aspect of which is providing focused opportunities for us to together be obedient to the commands of Jesus. So how are we together going to find people, in other words? So about that time, we ran a brief month-long sermon series called Answers Without Compromise. And try to make it very clear that while you have opportunity to be slightly inconvenienced to invite a friend, a coworker, etc., the messages were centered and designed around short passages of the Bible, and conversational in tone to equip you to equip you to share personally and address people's most immediate questions about God, about their lives, and how Jesus is the solution to those questions. That was hard. That was inconvenient. It was inconvenient enough to invite someone to church, then you peel back another layer of inconvenience. What, I'm supposed to do this? I'm supposed to actually have these conversations with people and not bring them to you, Ryan? Yes. Accordingly, we're planning in 2014 for people in community groups to open themselves up to become dinner groups using something called Christianity Explored which is a material put together like 15 years ago based around the gospel of, guess what, Mark. Yes, this is all part of the plan. Answering questions about who Jesus is for people who are skeptical or doubting or asking questions or spiritually sensitive. That would require you, of course, to be part of a community group and invite someone, peeling back another layer of inconvenience. Oh, come on, Ryan, stop there, please. Please. Nope. (laughs) All of this requires prayer. We need prayer. If you're going to step out to invite people and become part of their asking questions about who Jesus is, that's also inconvenient. We need help for that. It requires prayer. Prayer, 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 both for the courage and words to invite a friend and for others to accept your invitation. And so we want to prepare as a people through a church-wide prayer vigil before 2014 hits. Another layer of inconvenience. Saturday, November 2nd, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., 12-hour prayer vigil. The theme, which will be prayer fuels found people to find people. How are we going to be empowered to invite people, to encourage them, to befriend them? Prayer. I want to encourage you to start here, inconveniencing yourself. It's likely the most productive thing you can do. At the beginning of our story, a dead man walking is on the outside looking in. But by the end of the story, it's Jesus who's on the outside. Right? Look at verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And notice, because of this man's disobedience, what happens to Jesus? Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. Jesus, because of our disobedience, inconveniences himself. He goes outside the gate so that we might become insiders. Jesus was radically inconvenienced to the most desolated place of all, to the cross, where he was forsaken by his Father for the first time in all eternity. Outside the city gates of Jerusalem, he was sent to a Roman cross, Hebrews 13, 12 and 13 put it this way. Um, This could be a whole sermon on these verses, but I only have a short amount of time. The author of Hebrews says this, that Jesus also suffered, listen to this, outside the gate in order to sanctify people through his own blood. He suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Help us respond his going outside for us by likewise going outside our comfort zone and obeying him. Third obstacle, this will be the last one. Third obstacle to obedience is that obedience often looks like legalism. It looks like legalism. And this is probably the obstacle with which I wrestle the most as a pastor because I hate legalism. But if an onlooker who from afar, I was kind of looking onto this scene of Jesus and this leprous man, without being able to sort of hear the details of what Jesus was saying, and I watched this man's life totally restored to him, and then I watched him respond the way that he does, I would have used him as a sermon illustration this morning for how we should respond to the gift of new life in Christ. Right? Because he responds with spontaneous and infectious joy, telling everyone what Jesus has done for him. I'll be like, yes, go and do likewise. In fact, had he responded by going to the temple and performing this laundry list of external rites, right? Eight days with the priest, two lambs, two birds, blood, oil, earlobes. I would have asked, who is this legalistic rabbi? Who is this guy? Tell this man to do this. <laughs> but Jesus asked this cleansed man to respond with obedience according to, adhering to, God's law. Legalism. I mean, let me just briefly explain what this is. Legalism is any attempt to gain enough credit or extra credit with God based on your obedience. Any attempt to gain enough credit or get extra credit with God based on what you do. think I finally please God, He's happy with me. Or I can actually please, you know, I can actually love me more because I'm doing these religious things. Put another way, trust in Christ plus blank equals Accepted or further loved by God. If you can fill in that blank, you're practicing legalism. Legalism, though, is not strict adherence to God's law or standard. Yet you'll hear this. Legalism is not, I really think we should include the Bible as part of our prayer group. I think we really should do that. Don't be so legalistic. Legalism is not, hey, let's incorporate prayer, singing, Bible reading. It's part of our nightly family routine. Hey, let's not don't overdo it with our kids, right? Don't be so legalistic. It's not legalism. Legalism legalism is not. I don't want to watch this particular TV show or movie. Legalism is not. Let's sign up for three or four hours of the prayer vigil on November second. Someone responds, "Hey, no need to be so legalistic here." Legalism is not. I don't think God wants me to go out to the bar tonight. Hey, isn't that kind of legalistic? the most compelling and radical calls to obedience are also the most likely to earn the legalism tag. People will say, oh, that's too much. Oh, that's overdue. That's a little legalistic. It is not legalism unless, A, you've done it to earn enough or extra credit with God, and B, you'll know if that's the case if you look down on others for not doing it. If you look down on others you say, you know what, I'm a little bit better with God, why aren't you doing it? That's when you know it's legalistic. God calls us to respond by loving the law, by obeying the law, by finding life in the law. How do you begin to overcome this thought of, wow, that's too much. I don't want to be legalistic. By intentionally taking notice of the benefit of God's command for us. He means to bring you life through the commands. Benefit you through the commands. He gives you Deuteronomy 10, 12-13 says this, now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God, to keep the commandments and statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. The First prayer vigil, which we had this time about a year ago, is a great example of this. I can't tell you how many people went the extra mile who stepped Made a step of obedience to sign up, to pray with other people for the first time, strangers, and even pray out loud for the first time. You must say, "Hey, you don't have to do that." Yeah, but they got, they did it. They stepped out in obedience, and the blessings that flowed from that were numerous. People talked, "Man, I can't believe I did that. God taught me so much and showed up in my life because of that in a special way." So take note, record, celebrate how God's command combined with your obedience brings benefit to you. Many, maybe the most of us here today have experienced some of God's goodness but have yet to consciously decide to trust Jesus. Or you've consciously made a decision to trust Jesus but you've yet to experience trust because you've yet to obey You've yet to obey. If you remain there, you remain with the cleansed leper. You talk a good game, you can say nice things about God and the blessings, but the leper's initial step of faith in experiencing the goodness of Jesus by faith is also a spurious faith. It's a temporary faith. It doesn't last because he doesn't step out in obedience, which is the only place where faith can grow is stepping out into obedience. John 14, 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commands, obeys them, that's the person who loves me. The person who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. The person and the presence of Jesus is shown to you more clearly only as you obey. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, will come to him, great promise, and will make our home with him. Make our home A family. Now listen, you are part of God's family if you trust in Jesus. You only experience this inclusion into a family as you share meals, talk about hard things, even have a good family fight. Step out and participate in a family. A family within a family like a community group. I mentioned before, you know, you're always welcome in our house here but you become a part of a family when you learn to take out the trash. You ever stayed with a family at some point in your life for an extended period of time? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. You stayed with a family for I remember for me doing so with a university friend for some time a summer, I had a summer class, and I remember his mom said to me, Hey, help yourself to whatever you want. You're part of the family, which was incredibly nice, but I was being treated as a guest, wasn't I? It wasn't until 10 days in she finally let me clean the dinner dishes. As I began to do that, she let me ask me to do other things. And then I began to feel like part of the family. As you begin to step out in obedience, to use your gifts to serve, you feel like part of the family. Take on the family resemblance. For many of you here, obedience is the next step, must be the next step. If you're truly to root yourself, in a trust filled relationship with Jesus, do not, I want to implore you, do not rest on the fact that you attend church, you prayed a prayer, you made a decision for Christ, or even like the leper, have experienced a loving touch of Jesus. Instead, trust and obey. In 1887, Dwight L. Moody was holding an evangelistic meeting during which he asked, People usually to make a decision for Christ. After this meeting, Moody uh, let a young man get up to share his story. The young man was, was evidently unlearned to the, to the crowd. They observed this. He stumbled over Bible verses. He fumbled on knowing exactly when he made a decision for Christ. But that he now trusted Christ. And his life was transformed by following and obeying Jesus. He concluded, stating simply, you know, of timing and other matters, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. A man in the audience named Daniel Towner was so struck by these words that he jotted them down, he delivered them to his friend, John Samus, and together they wrote the words and the music for the hymn Trust and obey, which has been translated into over three dozen languages for well over a century. We can never prove that the lights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's stand together. Stand with me. We're going to sing this together, this song together as the praise team leads us.